Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is October 11th. We're talking the Packer pop, Green Bay Packer panic button power ranking. Say that five times fast. Uh, we're also going to talk about Milwaukee Bucks preseason. We're also going to discuss the Milwaukee Brewers exit interview. What can we learn from Matt Arnold? Where I disagree with him on a certain topic and much, much more. Before we get going, make sure that you're following along on social media. Tapping the keg on Twitter. Tap the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. If you're coming in from TikTok, we had one that went viral that I just, not viral for, for like most people's standards, but for my standards, just out of the fucking blue. Uh, awesome to see that. Uh, if you're joining us through there, welcome. Uh, we are on Apple. We're on Spotify. Where wherever else you get your podcast, you do Overcast, you Google. We are there. If we're not there, you reach out to me. I will get us there. So don't you worry about that. If you're already subscribed, you know what I like you to do. Uh, you talk about us. You say, hey, they got this great podcast. This is a great time to hop on board to tapping the keg right now because we're not only we're going to talk about the Packers. We're going to talk about what's going on with the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about a little bit of Brewers and MLB playoffs. Uh, we'll get into the Badgers, maybe a little Marquette. Like we're going to cover it all, baby. So don't worry about the bye week. You'll survive the bye week. We have the Bucks uh, season preview pod. I don't know if it's going to come out Monday or Tuesday. We're taping it on Saturday. Mitch and I in person getting into it like we have the last couple of years. Uh, it's a great pod that we do every year. It's a ton of fun. We talk about the rest of the NBA. Uh, so get your popcorn ready. Uh, as, and also for me, get my research ready. I know about the Bucks, but... It takes, it takes a little bit to, you know, kind of get acclimated to what you're seeing around in the rest of the NBA. You have to remind yourself of everything that is going on. But that is for another time. Mitch also tomorrow will have to have the keg at 526 tomorrow with Mitch. Uh, but yeah, let's get going. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packer panic power, power rankings. I guess you could say it's panic power rankings, right? Or panic button power rankings, but I will just call it the Green Bay Packer panic power rankings. How about that? All right, let's go. The Green Bay Packers are two and three to start the season. I think if you were to ask me in September, said, hey, the Packers are going to start two and three. What do you think of that? I would have first asked the question of, did we beat the Chicago Bears? And you would tell me yes. And I'd say, you know what? That's okay. That's all right. I assume they lost to the Lions. I assume they lost to the Saints. I assume maybe they lost to the Falcons. Falcons at the beginning of the year, people thought maybe fringe NFC South contender and that they would beat the Raiders and they beat the Bears. And I'd probably be okay with that. And in the inverse, it was they beat the Saints. They lost to the Falcons. They lost to the Lions. They lost to the Raiders. And you look at those losses and really... There is a weird alternate universe where Green Bay could be 5-0 heading into their body and be the talk of the NFL, right? That this young team is just one of the top teams in the NFL. People will be talking about them for Super Bowl. People will be talking Jordan Love for MVP, but they are not there. And they're not there because they are a young team. We went over it yesterday with the growing pains. You can go back and listen to the recap pod if you missed it. But I, I really look at this and I think that, yeah, two and three is, 
slightly concerning, but it's not like we should be tanking for Caleb Williams, Drake Met. I know a lot of people are talking about that after Green Bay really struggled again offensively on Monday night against a Raiders team that is not good defensively. I think Matt LaFleur overthought himself way too much. And we're going to talk about Matt LaFleur in the Panic Power Rankings. Don't you worry. But I, I, I really come away from that loss and I'm frustrated and I'm mad that they did lose. But I think with young teams, you're going to have dumb losses. You're just going to have dumb moments in the season. It's weird that we're going to use this as the comparison, but the Milwaukee Brewers were a young team by nature, really, for most of the season. In the middle of the year, they got swept at home where they sold out every game or close to a sellout for every game to the Oakland Athletics, the worst team in baseball. They lost three straight games to that baseball team. They did not take care of business. They also lost, they got swept by the Rockies, who are one of the worst teams in baseball in May. They, and I know baseball and football, it's it's kind of apples to potatoes, right? Like it's not, it's not the same. But I, I do think it's worth noting that young teams do dumb shit. That dumb shit happens to young teams. And as long as you're able to clear some of those dumb losses, you'll be okay. There were three games that could that could have went the wrong way for Green Bay. New Orleans, Atlanta, and Las Vegas. Two of them went the wrong way. One of them has went in the Packers' favor. There are going to be other dumb games where you're like, this is fucking stupid. Why are the Green Bay Packers in this situation? And if they can get out of another win and it's you know 500, we're going to take that any day of the week. I think that I underestimated that this could be a rebuild, that this could be a tough year for Green Bay, that it, it was not going to be the step back that I felt it was, you know, I, I just did not see it. I thought that Green Bay had enough talent here where I could look at it and say, all right, they're still going to find a way to be successful. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Uh, they have not played good football. It's been very ugly these last two weeks. And you could really say the last three weeks, barring the fourth quarter against the New Orleans Saints, it's just been an absolute clusterfuck. And so that's where the panic comes in. Because I do think that there are some that worry that this team could be heading into a tailspin. I am not there at all. I do... I don't know what we'll do tomorrow for Tabby the Keg. Mitch and I haven't talked about it, but I kind of want to predict the schedule. I kind of want to go through it all and, and look at, you know, where the Packers sit and what, you know, what we can make, you know, the rest of the way and think about how this schedule plays out for Green Bay. Um, because I do think that's an interesting discussion to have. Is this team really destined to be a top five, you know, worst team? I don't think so. I think there are much worse teams in the NFL right now. Ask yourself, would you rather be the Packers or would you rather be the Patriots? I'd rather be the Packers. Would you rather be the New York Jets or would you rather be the Green Bay Packers? I'd rather be the Green Bay Packers. I know Zach Wilson's looked good last two weeks, but they do not have an offensive line. They play in a very tough division. And yeah, I'd rather be the Green Bay Packers. Would you rather be the Green Bay Packers or Denver Broncos? Green Bay Packers, no question. Would you rather be the Green Bay Packers or the Washington Commanders? Actually, that's 
maybe the most apt comparison. I think the Commanders have just as much talent as we do defensively. Maybe not just as much, but they have a lot of talent defensively. They're not really showing up. They have a young quarterback in Sam Howell. They have talented wide receivers on the on the on the boundaries with Terry McLaurin, decent running back. Like I actually think the Commanders and Packers are probably the the perfect comparison. I would still rather be the Green Bay Packers. And you can call me biased, you can call me a homer, whatever the fuck you want to call me. But I still look at this team and I'm like, all right, yeah, it's going to be a step back. There's going to be dumb stuff that happens. But at the end of the day, I think Green Bay can find a way to be, you know, an eight or nine win team. And maybe that's good enough for the playoffs. Maybe not. And and if if you're eight and nine again next year, is or this year, is it really a failure? You hit your over-under for win totals. I realize that's like, that's not everything. But you basically perform to what expectations were by the Vegas odd makers. And I, I feel like that's good. I, now, is it, do you, can you have another eight and nine season for three straight years? No. That Matt LaFerce seat will get warmer. And that's just part of it. But I really do think that, yes, there should be some panic about certain things. And we're going to get into that now. But I also want us to understand that we're better off than a lot of teams in the NFL. And so I think that's that's important to denote uh, before we dive into this. So the Packer panic power rankings are based off of just different things that really concern me to things that I'm just not really concerned about. Uh, they can be players, they can be positions, they can be coaches, uh, and we're going to get into it. Number one is the inside linebacker depth for the Green Bay Packers. Now, I might get Devondre Campbell after the bye week, but with Packer injuries this year, I have learned to DTA. Do not trust anyone. I do not believe a ounce of what the Packers say about their injuries. Uh, Even if Campbell is coming back, this ankle injury nagged him in the preseason. It nagged him again in the regular season. I don't know if Devondre Campbell will be healthy for the entire year. Quay Walker did miss did miss significant knee injury. He was not part of the, the group of guys that went on IR today. So obviously Quay Walker came out unscathed with that knee injury. But if Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell are both battling injuries, Green Bay is at a significant disadvantage at the inside linebacker position because the backups there are not good. Eric Wilson and, and Isaiah McDuffie are run-of-the-mill guys. And against the Raiders and against the Broncos, it's tolerable, maybe even against the Vikings. But when you face the Rams and you face the Chargers and you face the Lions again and the Chiefs, you're going to get torn the fuck up with those guys. So we need Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell. I think those guys are part of the glue for this Packers defense. And they do play better when Campbell's out there. Uh, I know Campbell didn't really have a great start to the season, but he is an immediate, he is just a, a floor general. He's a guy that keeps everybody in line. Remember, there's a reason Green Bay came back last year and sort of made the run to the playoffs because their defense stepped up, which also was because Campbell was a part of it again. So they need Devondre Campbell out there for the Packers. So if he comes back, but you don't have Quay Walker back, I, I'll take that, I guess. I think I'd knock it down a little bit in the panic ratings, but it's not something I, I really feel good about. Joe Barry's number two. Look, there is a world where you could give Joe Barry praise, right? Joe Barry's defense has done a pretty good job in terms of holding teams from scoring. Uh, The Packers are not exactly, you know, 
giving up a ton of points every night. They're not the New York Giants. They're not the Carolina Panthers. They're not, you know, they're not one of these teams that's just getting scored. The Commanders, who we just mentioned, right? Uh, they they're not doing that. And I have to give Joe Barry a little bit of credit, but I I can't help but be scared of Joe Barry every time the Green Bay Packer defense is out there. I just cannot trust the guy that he is going to do the right thing. The Devontae Adams-Preston Smith thing was really bad. The Green Bay getting continually torn up in the run game throughout, you know, the Joe Barry experience. Uh, Just guys seemingly to have miscommunications. Uh, The zones being too complex for what the Green Bay Packers are from a young team. I just can't trust that Joe Barry is going to make this right. And even though the Packers have been doing okay defensively, I'm not ready to say, all right, yeah, I'm not going to worry about Joe Barry anymore because I do. And I felt like the guy shouldn't have kept his job. He is going to keep his job. He's probably there the rest of the year. If Joe Barry is not let go during the bye week, we're going to have Joe Barry the rest of the year unless things get really bad. And that's infuriating to me. And I think that is just taking the Packers and a step back from them. And and they're just really not showing their full potential defensively. Next on the Packer panic power rankings that I have for you is Rasheed Walker. Rasheed Walker really struggled against Aiden Hutchinson and Max Crosby. Now, two of the better edge rushers, defensive linemen that you're going to have in the NFL right now. That said, there are guys like that that are littered throughout the rest of the schedule that are going to give you a hard time. And Rasheed Walker really struggled in those two games. And I don't think you can look at it and say Rasheed Walker is the guy. I'm curious to see if they're going to put Zach Tom at left tackle and try to go with Josh Nyman. I, I do wonder, is that something they will think about when it comes to post by? I, I imagine the offensive line is going to be different. Like, I, I think that's something that I could certainly see coming out of the bye is Green Bay doing something different on their offensive line. And I'm not saying that Rasheed Walker isn't trustworthy. I think he does enough, but it's not that reliability that we had out of David Bakhtiari. The reliability at times that we had with Josh Nyman last year, uh, the reliability that Zach Tom even showed at left tackle last year, uh, it's just, it's not there yet with Rasheed Walker. He failed two tests against Aiden Hutchinson and Max Crosby. Now, those are difficult tests, right? That's like taking chemistry as a freshman or maybe advanced chemistry as a freshman. That's probably a better example because I'm sure there's some of you that might have took chemistry as a freshman. But it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he does against the Denver Broncos, how he does against the Minnesota Vikings, who don't really necessarily, the Vikings don't really have a pass rush, but they blitz the living shit out of you. And how is he going to handle that? How is he going to be able to pick up blitzes? Because that's something I've noticed is Walker doesn't exactly know, you know, who he's supposed to block sometimes. And so that's where my fear comes in. I'm just not sold that Rasheed Walker is the tackle of the future. And if the Green Bay Packers do have a top 15 pick next year, I think tackles at the top of my board of what to draft. Next on the panic ratings, Keyshawn Nixon, man. 
I like Keyshawn Nixon. I like his attitude. I like his energy. I like how he comes to, comes to the table with hot piss every game. But he's just not a slot corner. He is not. He it's just not there for him. He missed a bona fide take it to the house pick six against the Raiders. At, you know, at the goal line, really a key moment in this game. And he's just he's been getting passed on all throughout the year. Uh, it, it seems like that will become Eric Stokes, or they'll move Rasul Douglas inside. To be very interesting to see what the Packers do there. But it, it has to be Eric Stokes' job if Eric Stokes is ready after the bye week. Uh, Kishon Nixon has just had too many struggle struggles in that slot position. I think he's much better off as the fourth corner. You know, maybe even a roaming safety. You could potentially try him out there, especially if they're they're low on safety help with the injury to Darnell Savage. But yeah, Kishon Nixon is not a guy for the slot corner position. It's just not working out. And he, I think he's been more of a detriment to the Packers secondary than maybe it's been talked about. And, and I don't know if that's just people aren't noticing it, if it's just because he's a good guy, if it's that there are bigger fish to fry, right? But Kishon Nixon has been a problem. Next is Jordan Love. I'm sure you guys were wondering where Jordan Love was coming in. So I put Jordan Love fifth on this, pat, this panic power rankings. Uh, here's the thing. Jordan Love's last three games have been complete shit. Jordan Love's first two games were really good. I think that riding the roller coaster of a young quarterback, you're going to have this. This is there are going to be struggles. There are going to be growing pains. Like we talked about yesterday. They there will be bumps in the road. And this is a bump in the road for Jordan Love. I think how Jordan Love responds out of the bye against a bad Denver defense is really important. How Jordan Love responds against the Minnesota Vikings, another divisional opponent at home. That is really important to me. How he does against the you know vaunted front line of the Los Angeles Rams, that's important to me. I think Jordan Love has a chance to kind of rewrite his story. It's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns. And I think Packer fans you know, are kind of showing their spoiledness, kind of showing the entitledness that we've seen out of Green Bay Packer fans, which I don't know if entitled, title, I don't think that was a word, but you get my point is that we've seen Rodgers and Favre for so long that it, it's definitely it's definitely weighing on us. We're definitely you know going back to those moments and we're like, well, why can't you make that pass like Rodgers? I agree with Aaron Nagler who said that you know, love is more like young Brett Favre than he is young Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't have a great memory of Favre, but from what I've watched, from the, the game logs that I've looked at, it, it does seem like he is more far than he is Love. As my guy Jordan Love Bookmarks likes to remind everybody, Favre was, had 19 touchdowns and 24 interceptions in his second year as an NFL starter for the Green Bay Packers. So it takes time, but I will say the patience is not as long as it used to be. And I don't know where Jordan Love's window is. Um, I don't think that we are going to have conversations about Caleb Williams and Drake May unless it gets really ugly for Jordan Love. Uh, but he definitely has things to work on and things to improve in this bye week. And I, I really hope that he does. And I hope that if we revisit this, you know, in a month or a month and a half, that he's way down the list. Malifar's next at six. I, Malifar could be higher. Uh, I just... I need to see more out of Matt LaFleur's offense. Uh, he needs to take the training wheels off 
And maybe the reason why the training wheel is off is because Jordan Love could throw four interceptions each game, and he's trying to prevent that. I don't know. Uh, but Matt LaFleur needs to be better. Um, I, I just think his game management has been pretty piss poor to start the year. And he's still adjusting to Aaron Rodgers, and he, he isn't there yet. And that that has to be cleaned up uh, for Matt LaFleur going forward. I do not have him on a hot seat. I don't think Matt LaFleur should lose his job. But I do think, again, if you have a mediocre year this year, then that's back-to-back mediocre years. And then then we have to start asking some questions. And, and that's where that's where it gets into a little bit of the hot seat, a little bit of did Aaron Rodgers make you as a head football coach. Number seven is A.J. Dillon. I think A.J. Dillon would have been a lot higher had Aaron Jones. It's been a long injury for Aaron Jones. Uh, but I have A.J. Dillon here. We could, we could also maybe combine A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, the Packer running game. It's been an issue for Green Bay so far this year. But I'm going to zag on this one a little bit just because we have not seen it with Aaron Jones. And until we see it with Aaron Jones, I'm not going to run and say, all right, yeah, this is a major concern for Green Bay. Uh, and A.J. Dillon ran the ball all right uh, in the game game against the Raiders. So maybe it's coming together from a Packer run blocking perspective. I want to see it with Aaron Jones before I'm freaking out. So I, I'm freaking out a little less about Dillon. I think I was always neutral on Aaron Jones, honestly. And then the overall rushing attack. I think there is a tinge of concern. But I, again, I, I need to see it with, with Aaron Jones uh, toting that rock. Number nine is Luke Musgrave. I'm a little worried about Luke Musgrave just from the fact that it doesn't seem like the breakout's ever going to happen. Like, everyone's like, oh, the tape, the tape, the tape, the tape. They'll tell you all the time. These cocksuckers are like, oh, he looks great on tape. He looks great on tape. Like, look, some people look good on camera, right? You know, the I'm sure a porn star looks awesome on camera. And she's all dialed up and everything else. Then you go see her at a strip club and she looks nothing like what you saw on film, okay? Cameras can mask a lot. Uh, Instagram can mask a lot. So all I'm saying is we need to see it on the field with Luke Musgrave. And it just hasn't happened just yet. And maybe I'm being impatient, but I I need to see more uh, from Luke Musgrave. So I'm a tinge worried about him. Number 10 is Christian Watson. Uh, I, I just thought it was a rough game for Christian Watson. Uh, I think his mom responding to people on Twitter is not great. I saw that a little bit. Um, no, don't do that, please. Uh, sh- I don't want to say shut up, but like we don't need that. We just don't need that shit. I understand you're a proud mom. I get it. But just maybe lay off lay off the Twitter fingers, okay? Uh, and Christian just needs to be better. And he knows it. He, he owned it after the game. I, I commend him for that. But I, I hope that this is a learning experience from him and he bounces back. I think Christian Watson's also adjusting that of Aaron Rodgers. I, I, that to me seems sort of obvious. I, I think the Watson love relationship is not there similarly to what we saw with Watson and Dobbs. Uh, other guys I'm not exactly worried about, and, but I'm not, I'm not officially like very nervous that Christian Watson is somehow a bust or turned into a pumpkin. Um, Jair Alexander, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark would be the last guys that I've I th- I've thought about, had maybe a slight worry. Kenny Clark's probably the one that I would say so far has been the guy I feel the best about, uh, who's probably playing close to an all-pro level. Rashawn Gary, also on that list of guys I feel well. But I kind of wanted to show, you know, what I worry about the most versus what I worry about the least. And Kenny Clark is on that least list along with Rashawn Gary. So... 
it's it, it. There's a long way to go in this season. We have a couple weeks to stew on this. We'll obviously want to hear from you. Uh, tap the keg on Twitter. Tap the keg sports on Instagram. Give me your Packer Packer panic power rankings. I uh, would love to hear that. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks, who played two preseason games. The Milwaukee Bucks are one and one. They pulled out a victory against the Chicago Bulls on Sunday afternoon, and then they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies in a game that was looked closer than it was. The Bucks put on a full court press, down 16 with three minutes left to go in the game, and they, they really cut into the lead. They really frustrated the young Memphis team. I don't know if Adrian Griffin's planning to run presses uh, down 15 or 16 with three minutes left regularly, but I fucking loved it. Uh, great move. I I have a little bit of a, I don't know, I guess they're postseason, preseason overreactions. Like it's just preseason, but uh, sort of things. Uh, to me, I won't say this is taken from Mr. Pat McAfee, but a little bit. Uh, it's just Milwaukee Bucks preseason, but my biggest brain told you about Andre Jackson Jr. I loved Andre Jackson Jr. out of the draft. I thought it was an absolute steal from the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I watched J- Jackson Jr. play for UConn and be this connector and be this glue guy and... I think the Bucs absolutely hit on it. I think Andre Jackson is going to be a contributor out the gates. I think he is going to play anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. I need to see him, you know, with the ones, right? I need to see him with Giannis Antetokounmpo, with Dame Lillard, with Chris Middleton. How does he fit in? But the guy is going to be a problem defensively. I have no idea why. When the national media is like, oh, the perimeter defense, the perimeter defense. And no one fucking talked about Andre Jackson Jr., Marjan Beauchamp, and Jay Crowder. And I know Jay Crowder maybe has lost a step. And I want to talk about Jay Crowder here in a second. But Andre Jackson Jr. is a very good player. And he is going to have a role with this Milwaukee Bucks team all season long. And I, he comes from a championship pedigree. We saw this with Christian Braun last year, right? Christian Braun came from that Kansas team and he was able to contribute to the Denver Nuggets from the get-go. Andre Jackson Jr. can do the exact same thing. And the reason, and you might be like, well, Charlie, why was he drafted in the first round? He can't really play that much offensively. Like he is just dunks and dunks and layups. And that's it. He can't shoot at all. Now, the jokes about the run and dunk man that Giannis gets, that's literally Andre Jackson Jr. But that's okay. That That's fine as your fifth guy. A guy you could just put in the dunker spot and be like, here, there you go. Uh, I think he is going to be an absolute problem for the Jason Tatums, the Jimmy Butlers of the world. I think they're going to struggle with him. And that to me is a little bit of an overreaction, but I am all in on Andre Jackson Jr. My chips are pushed all the way the fuck in. Somebody needs to explain me Lindell Wigginton. I do not get Lindell Wigginton for the life of me. Uh, he is just not a good basketball player. I'm sorry to Lindell. I'm sorry to his family, but that guy stinks. And yet the Bucks have something they, they think is there. Uh, you know, he started the first two preseason games and played 25 minutes in both. In the Bulls game, he was 25. 1 of 7, 0 for 4 from 3. He was minus 5 into plus minus, had 4 turnovers. 
against the Grizzlies. Wigington played. Wigington did not start, pardon me, in that game. But he played 19 minutes. He only shot the ball once, made three free throws. Also had another three turnovers, was a minus four. So he's combined minus nine when he's been out on the out on the court in the first two preseason games. He's just not a good basketball player. He's not an NBA player, okay? He'd be better off, you know, playing overseas in Madrid or in Istanbul or in fucking Shanghai. Like that's where that's where Lindell Wigginton belongs. Uh, he's just not a not a hooper. And Bucks could use, you know, that roster spot a lot differently. So I do hope that they see that too. Um, that would be a guy that I just look at as a cut. And I, I just look at as a guy who really shouldn't be a part of the system any any longer. And that's okay. Like, look, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes you got to learn from it. Again, it's just preseason, right? But sometimes there's those guys that somehow keep finding their way on the team. Like, look at Royce Newman. I've wanted Royce Newman cut for the last two fucking years. Yet, he's still there. His wife's doing videos. Like, I mean, he's never leaving. I'm not never going to get rid of Royce Newman. It's just a fact. He's just going to be in my life. It's like Michael Myers. He just keeps coming back. It's not going to It's not gonna change. Uh, so, so there you have it. Uh, also, here, this one, this one's a little spicy. This one, like, it's like a hot, it's a habanero. It's a little, it's a little hot. Uh, I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to have a true fifth starter all season. Yep. I am going to say that right now. I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to rotate their fifth starter. I think it's going to be a little Craig Council-y where there isn't going to be a defined lineup. That's going to drive my guy, Eric, absolutely fucking bonkers. That is going to drive him crazy. He will be bitching to us in the group chat on Twitter. Oh, why does Andrew Griffin have a line, have a dedicated lineup? Oh, here's what I think is going to happen. I think there are some games where they're going to look at it and they're going to say, all right, it's Malik Beasley. I think there's going to be other games where they're like, yeah, we need Jay Crowder. I think there's going to be other games where they might say they need Pat Content. I would prefer not Pat Content. I like him as a second unit guy. I think he plays better at that. But I, I do think you could see that. I think Andre Jackson Jr. later in the year, maybe February, March, we're like, hey, yeah, we want Andre Jackson Jr. to kind of set the tone. I don't think that they're going to have a defined fifth starter. Will there be a fifth starter by minutes where, you know, plays with all the guys, the big four? Yes, absolutely. But I think for the time being, I think they're going to go matchup-based. And, I, and I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't because I think there are different matchups for different teams. Like, look at, okay, so... Philadelphia. So let's just do it game number one. So who do who would be the fifth starter in game number one, assuming that Harden probably won't play? I know there's the weird rules of like the CBA about not playing. So I, I don't think that Harden can't like I guess they can enact they can, you know, inactivate, you know, James Harden. So I'm I'm looking at what the depth chart here would be with the Sixers. Harden withstanding. So it's Maxi. It's Harris, it's Tucker, it's Embiid, it's probably Pat Bev or DeAndre Melton. Shake Melton, that is, for those at home. So in that case, you PJ Tucker, kind of bigger guy, that's a Jay Crowder. That's a Jay Crowder lineup. And so that's, there you go. Uh, it's Jay Crowder. And that, well, but okay. So then, so if you're mat, putting matchups, is it, is, is that then more Malik Beasley? Because you have Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard to guard Maxi, not, and I realize they don't guard each other, but just work it out here. Dame Lillard to guard Maxi or or Pat Bev, sorry. 
Dave Miller-Degard, Papav, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, Giannis, P.J. Tucker, and Bede, Brooke Lopez. Yeah, sorry. You'll go with Malik Beasley. So that's a, that's a Malik Beasley matchup, okay? So, and, I, and I, again, I, I think there will be times where you have bigger teams, maybe like a Clippers, right? That would be a good example of a, a team that's a little bigger like the Clippers. That's one where you're like, all right, Jay Crowder. That's a Jay Crowder spot. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think Beasley makes the most sense from just a lineup construction perspective. But I, I could see a situation where they are just going to go with what the matchup sort of brings them. So that's that's interesting to say the least. And, and a take that, I don't know. I don't know if everyone will agree with that, but that's kind of how I feel. You know, watching these, these guys for the last few games, I thought my dude Shafty made a great point that you know, the reason why you're not seeing Giannis, Dame, and Chris is that they need to see who that fifth, fifth starter is. And that's kind of what these first two games have been about. I hope that they play on Sunday. I think it would be kind of an issue if they didn't play on Sunday. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see there. Marjan will be a resource off the bench. I, I don't think Marjan's a starter. Uh, he had 18 that game against the Bulls. I, I don't think he's ready to be a starter, at least right now. Uh, they've talked about him in practice. You heard Dame Lillard talk about him. You heard Chris Middleton. I think you honestly might have said something too. Uh, I just, I don't think Marjan is going to be a bet, uh, a starter right away. I think he's going to come off the bench. I think he's going to give great energy off the bench. I think he is going to be a 10 to 20 minute a game guy off that bench. Uh, so I do really like that, and I, I think that that's okay. I think that's that's fine where Marjan is. I think defensively, too, he's another guy that you can throw at people. Again, this perimeter defense thing drives me up the goddamn wall, and I hate to harp back on it, but how did no one look at this roster and be like, okay, you throw this guy. Bochamp has defensive prowess. Jackson Jr. has defensive prowess. Jay Crowder, I, I understand. It's a little, but I know I was going to mention Jay Crowder. Like, Jay Crowder looks good. Like, Jay Crowder looks kind of unleashed. Like, Jay Crowder either got in the lab or talked with Adrian Griffin or talked with John Horst, and it seems like Jay Crowder is rejuvenated. Like, I'm kind of in on a Jay Crowder bounce back here. Like, you could sell me on that idea. Now, granted, I'm a, I'm a big Jay Crowder guy. Like, Jay Crowder is my dude from college. So, like, I have... I have a lot of Jay Crowder stock that I just, it's just sitting there. It's like Apple at this point. I just probably not like Apple because that would be that like, Jimmy Butler would kind of be the Apple stock, right? If you're doing Marquette players that you took stock in early on, Jimmy Butler would be Apple. I don't know. I'm not really a finance bro. I'm not a Davy Day trader. So you guys are going to have to help me with, it would be just a steady, reliable, unexpected stock. So if you have that name for me, Drop it uh, on Twitter or Instagram. Tab the keg, tab the keg sports uh, for one of those. But yeah, I uh, I definitely think Jay Crowder could have a big year as well. Um, so I'm, I mean, on that man, uh, I'm excited. I, I think it's it's going to be a really fun year of Bucks basketball, and definitely something that you got to be in right away. Like I, I don't think it's one of those things you want to wait. I think it's definitely a a game one to game one to game 82 not 182 and yeah it's it's going to be fun to see all the national media running cower in in december i i will just add before i go to the brewers it's been very interesting to see how many players think and former players 
think how good Milwaukee's going to be and how the, the other side of the table doesn't really see it that way. Kevin Garnett said it to that. Kevin Garnett was on his Showtime show and was like, yeah, they're going to be extremely hard to beat. They're going to probably win the championship. Uh, Pat Beverly on his show said, you know, yeah, Damian Giannis are going to be very hard to defend. Basically, we got to cut the head of the snake, which is Giannis. And so are they going to beat up Giannis? What are they going to do? You know, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens if the Bucs come out and win like 16 of their first 18 games. What will they say if they dismantle Boston in November? What will they say? I just, just stay quiet. Like, let's just all just hang out. And granted, what my friend Mitch would tell you tomorrow, probably when I, I, I act like this, he will go, well, regular season don't mean shit. He's right. He is right. But I do think the Bucs are, you know, going to surprise the national media who is weirdly writing them off and just sucking Boston's dick. But what are you going to do? This spicy language pot. I apologize for that. I know some of you probably listen at work. Some of you probably listen with your kids in the car. Um, I, I would recommend not listening to this podcast with your kids in the car. Um, just because you never know when, you know, there's a comparison to Luke Musgrave and a porn star. So there you have it. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. And they had their exit interview. Uh, Matt Arnold met with the media at 1130. Some people were worried it was like a Craig Council announcement. Um, it wasn't, uh, so we didn't have to lead with the Brewers, which we, we did all last week. Uh, we can talk about them here at the end and just some of the end of the year takeaways. Uh, and one of them is Matt Arnold. Sounds like he wants to make a splash. Here's a comment from Matt Arnold. This from Kurt Hogg, great beat reporter. Uh, Arnold on where the team needs to improve. It's probably across the board. We're going to take an assessment of our entire organization. We've had success, but we are not comfortable where we are. Love that fucking quote from Matt Arnold. That is a guy who looked at his team and said, we are not, this isn't, this isn't working. We have tried it this way. We tried the small ball. We, we've went too far. And I, I mentioned that on the pod last week where I was like, they swung all the way from the just wanted a bunch of power hitters, just want a bunch of guys that hit the shit out of the ball to now a bunch of guys who can't hit the shit out of the ball. And they need to kind of find that balance. And it seems like that's what Matt Arnold wants to do. And Matt Arnold wants to identify the gaps. How can we be like the Texas Rangers who just advanced to the ALCS? How can we be like the Astros? How can we be like the Twins, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies? How can we be like those teams? What can we do? Uh, I, I love that my guy RJ and Eric were up my ass immediately after I, I put that on Twitter, being like, oh, they got to spend money. They got to spend money. It's, I, I, love, I love those guys. But it's, it's not just about the money. It's like what trades can be made? What things can be done to blend the young talent that the Brewers have with maybe some veteran leadership. Uh, it'll be very fascinating to see. Again, I love it for Matt Arnold. Like that is such a departure from the bites at the apple comment. And Jerry DePito, who had the whole like, we want to win 54%, he got flamed for it. Uh, but if you look at, someone did the research, like if you actually win 54% of the time for like 20 years, you usually end up with a World Series. And that, so he was actually right in that, but it, it doesn't play well with the fan base. The fan base does not want to hear that. And so I think about what Arnold said, and it, 
it better be like it better look different now because people will come back to this quote. People will bookmark it. People will say, "Well, well, what changed?" Right? When Owen Miller started at first base, just kidding. I, that'd be a nightmare. But if he was, like, everyone's gonna be like, "Well, what's different?" And so I, I think that Matt Arnold has kind of put his nuts on the table a little bit, and I, I love it. I love that he is challenging the status quo and. I think we saw sort of year one Matt Arnold getting his feet wet, and now the guy is ready to ready to go. Like this is it's kind of his it's time to shine, and I think he's definitely developed more of a cachet with cachet is probably the wrong word, but he's developed sort of that comfort with Mark Ananasio after what he did with William Contreras. I, I can't imagine that Arnold doesn't have the voice of the owner and doesn't have the voice of the organization to make the moves that he thinks can can get the Brewers more victories and that elusive World Series appearance and World Series win. Like, I guess they did get there once in 82, but I mean, that's been so long ago, right? I think we want to go back. We obviously want to win it too, but it's, it's definitely, you know, more is needed, you know, for this Brewers team. So other things that stood out to me that Matt Arnold talked about. Uh, he said he was okay with keeping Burns, Woodruff, and Adonis and in their final years of the contract. That doesn't surprise me. I think we talked about that, you know, September of this year where I, I said to you guys, I could see a scenario where you do keep everybody, drives a lot of fans crazy, but basically you're hoping for one more shot at it. And with the infl- influx of young talent that's coming in, the guys who've now had one year under their belts, would it just all come together and the Brewers are one of the best teams in baseball? I, I think that's a very you know real possibility for the Milwaukee Brewers. And I think they have that in their back pocket. I also think the Brewers are not going to be shy in potentially dealing Corbin Burns. I think even though they were like, Corbin's going to be here, they're saying all the right things. I don't, think Matt Arnold hangs up with the Baltimore Orioles who got their asses blasted, who have no young pitching to speak of, right? They call up Matt Arnold. Michael Elias uh, is his name. The Orioles GM is like, hey, we like Corbin Burns. We want Corbin Burns. And they have all this young talent. They are littered with young talent. They probably have too much young talent, as crazy as it sounds from a hitting perspective. That is a real obvious trade that could work to to the Brewers' favor. Now, could there be other teams? Could there be the Texas Rangers? Could the rich get richer if the Rangers, you know, were to find themselves in the World Series, potentially? Could it be the New York Mets? We've talked about that in the past. Could it be the Los Angeles Angels trying to, you know, figure out what they're doing from a pitching perspective? Could it be the Dodgers who pitching depth sort of went to the went to the shitter? And the Brewers bring back young pitching. I'll take Bobby Miller back. I'll take Emmett Sheenan back. Um, I will take any of their young hitters, Miguel Vargas, Michael Bush. Like, I I can sell myself on on those type of guys. Uh, Bush more than Vargas. But, like, you have my point. Uh, I think they're going to listen on Burns. I think they're in a house money position, honestly. I I really do. I I think they're they're going to be okay if he comes back. But I don't think they're going to be heartbroken if he leaves. The Brewers have a very good pipeline here at pitchers with Jay, uh, Jacob Mizorowski, with Robert Gasser, with Carlos Rodriguez. Mizorowski and Rodriguez might not be ready opening day. I think Gasser will be. Uh, Aaron Ashby, Freddie Peralta. 
where this window can stay open. This idea that the window is closing is such bullshit. It, and it, it, respectfully, it's just, you gotta pay a little more attention because you look at what the Brewers have, you know, prospect-wise coming up. And it's, it's kind of where the Brewers are right now, as crazy as it sounds, because you guys are gonna be like, well, they've been so good. How, how is this like a restart in the window? This is like 2007, 2008. Like some of the guys are up now, so maybe it's 2007. So could this be a, you know, two, it's so different. I guess it's not that perfect of a comparison, but basically what I'm saying is this trio, black, Kuro, like Quiro, I, I always butcher his name. Mitch is going to kill me. Uh, you know, that next generation of guys, Mitchell, Terang, Freelich, that's all starting now. That's beginning now. And this last era of Brewers baseball, is, it's ending. You know, it's its getting to that point of being over. But yeah, I think he's in a house money spot that he being Matt Arnold. Lastly, Jackson Trio and Tyler Black are going to get a chance. He talked about them as a, there's a real opportunity that those guys are going to get a viable shot at an opening day roster spot. And I love that. I think that that is very possible. I think it's going to end up happening. Uh, I, I think it's it's going to be a huge selling point for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think they're going to want to try to bring people to the ballpark in April to watch Jackson Trio, the young phenom. I, I don't know if they feel like it's going to be Nashville for a little bit and just to get his feet wet or they're going to go all in. I think they're going to go all in. I think they're going to give Trio a contract this offseason. He's going to have one similar to what we've seen out of Acuna and Corbin Carroll and a lot of other guys who signed the contract before they've even stepped foot at American Family Field. And I swear to God, if you bitch about that and you're one of those people like, oh my God, like I can't believe they gave the deal. Uh, this is so-and-so being cheap. It's not. It's That's how the Braves have literally built their team. So... If you want to be like the Braves, this is brave shit. That's what the Braves do. All right. That does it for a very fun podcast. I had a great time today. I hope you guys did too. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Mitch and I tomorrow. Then on Friday, we will do the betting preview for Badgers, Iowa. Iowa. Uh, as well as we'll probably take a look at some Bucks futures. We'll take a look and see where the Bucks odds are right now. See what we can you know, make of that. Uh, that'll probably be tomorrow. Maybe, I don't think we'll check in on the Packers. A uh, few shots because that's it's probably not a great uh, great thing. I, and I don't think there's any real buy low opportunities here with the Packers odds. So there you have it, little spoiler. But anyways, we will be back, uh, Mitch and I, tomorrow, uh, solo on Friday. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday. We are halfway through this week. All right, we'll see you then. Bye.